Uh, welcome to Theology on Tap, everybody. We're in the VIP room tonight. This is special. Um, thank you to Henry's for having us, as always. And even though we couldn't be in the whiskey room tonight, it's always fun to be. I feel like it's lighter in here than it was last time. It is definitely lighter. Which is always good to be able to see for us, not all of for y'all. Beautiful faces. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, if you're joining us for the first time, welcome. We're glad that you're here. My name is Justin. This is my good friend Brian McGreevy. And uh, the way this works is we normally go for about 20, 30 minutes on just to have a conversation on a given topic. And tonight we're talking about working for the weekend. So we're going to cover a lot of different topics. Uh, but throughout our conversation, you will see these little things lying around the room. You can scan the QR code on the top and you can ask any question whatsoever related to what we're talking about or not. Yeah, and so encourage you to do that. We're not going to be offended if we see your, your phone on and all that. So um, please do take advantage of that. And then I believe that we have Lizzie. Where is Lizzie? Awesome. She stepped out. She didn't want to be the moderator, so she left. <laughs> no, but I, I think she was, no, she, she'll do a great job. So I believe she or somebody else will be the moderator for all the questions. So with that, Brian. Why did we want to talk about working for the weekend uh, when we were thinking about well, things Well, first, about? because it's just a really great song uh, <laughs> that was in the playlist already that will probably come back around at some point later this evening. But part of the reason we wanted to talk about it is we feel like that a lot of people I know, particularly people that are y'all's age, really are in this stage of feeling like they are working for the weekend and that the week is just something to be gotten through so that they can get to the weekend and then the weekend they can do what they want um, but the weekend doesn't always deliver what they want and it uh, just becomes kind of this cycle and one of the things that uh, Justin and I talk a lot about uh, is a word that probably doesn't come up in your vocabulary a lot but it's the word flourishing and we really believe that God made us in his image to flourish, to not just exist or get by, but to flourish and to experience joy and uh, meaning and purpose. And it seems like a lot of people, when they get in that working for the weekend kind of space, um, they're not flourishing and there's not a lot of joy. So we thought it might be good to unpack that. Some. Yeah. It's probably going to be one of these conversations where it hits on a lot of different things we've talked about in the past. Friendship, work, rest, all of these things. Uh, I don't think that we tend to work well uh, because we are focused so much on just getting through something or we're distracted or we're, we're busy. We're definitely going to talk about busyness in a second. But also we don't know how to really rest well. We might go and do like you know binge watch netflix or uh go drinking or just you know have something where at the end of it you're more depleted than you were at the start of it right and i've seen that in my own life and i in talking to folks as well it can be one of those things that uh just seems like it's one of these issues that seems to be prevalent today so working resting and but particularly friendship right and that's mm -hmm. i think a lot of this has to do the the busyness the working for the weekend uh it's actually lacking it, it doesn't it's not the full picture of what the friendship and the fellowship we were made for the flourishing aspect of that so it's probably going to incorporate some of that as well but um you want to talk a little bit about uh where do you want to start business busyness or um yeah, I think busyness is a good place to start because I think what happens, uh, if I were to ask you, raise your hand if you're busy, maybe I will ask you that. Right. Raise your hand if you're busy. We're all busy. Like, it's the worst thing if you're not busy. And we have kind of a, we would never probably admit this, but I think there's kind of a competition of, of like, how busy am I? And am I, like, more busy than other people? Because that means I'm important. And we've gotten this weird link between busyness and importance. And the fact of the matter is that busyness tends to mean that we are preoccupied with doing things that don't have long-term consequences for flourishing. We're doing lots of things that may be task work for our job. Um, and it seems like that's what a lot of it is. And that busyness makes us sort of grind through the week. Um, that's a word that you didn't used to hear 
a lot, but now when people are talking about their work, you hear the word grind a lot, um, which that says something, because when I think of grind, I think about this lovely coffee beans, and then, <laughs> and, uh, and then all of a sudden there's this powder. And that's probably not a bad analogy exactly for right. what happens to a lot of people's lives with busyness. And I think part of it is that busyness, you may not think of it this way, you may think busyness the opposite of that is laziness, but I would say maybe the opposite of busyness is uh, being purposeful, because I think busyness is antithetical to living with purpose. Yeah. So we we finally brought books again. It's been a long time since we've had books with us, but uh, a good book. We always reference the Common Rule. That's a book by Justin Whitmill Early has a lot of good stuff on this, but this is a book, anybody here heard of The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry? Yeah, it's a great book. So it, he talks in it a lot about busyness and hurry, uh, and one of the things he says is that, I mean, just what you're talking about, busyness is something across cultures, across ages, everyone now is saying they're busy. And he says busyness, uh, it is actually, there's a, set, a healthy kind of busyness where your life is full of things that matter, not wasted on empty leisure or trivial pursuits. Uh, and by that definition, Jesus himself was actually busy. But the problem isn't when you have a lot to do. The problem is when you have too much to do, and the only way to keep the uh, quota up is to hurry. And I think you see that all the time. People feeling like they've got way too much to do and they can't do it. So what are some of the ways that you, what would you counsel somebody who showed up in your office and was saying, I'm feeling this way? Well, that happens pretty often. I so, what uh, One of the things I would ask somebody to do is just kind of walk me through what their week looks like. And for most people, it's kind of sad. And the problem is most people are so busy that they don't have time to step back and think about, well, what does my week normally look like? And one of the things I would say is that you can't get a crop if you don't ever plant any seed. And I think that is where a lot of people are, that they want good friendships, they want meaningful worship, they want um, to feel that their life matters, they want to feel that they're part of a community. But the problem is they don't want to do what I would call the spade work um, to make that happen. Um, most of y'all know that I am somewhat uh, interested in C.S. Lewis and Tolkien and the Inklings. And one of the things, there have been so many books written about them, and a lot of what's written about them is how amazing their friendship with each other was and what great fruit came out of that. The Lord of the Rings books, the Chronicles of Narnia, both Lewis and Tolkien said they wouldn't have been written without their friendship. And you think, wow, I would love to have that kind of friendship. But what you don't realize is that, so Lewis and Tolkien, both professors at Oxford, uh, which was again voted the greatest university in the world this year, uh, really busy tutorials, lectures, all of that kind of stuff, and yet, the rhythm of their life, which I think this, there's a great book to be written about this, the rhythm of their life, both of them went to worship seven days a week. They met with each other individually twice a week. They met with each other in a group with other friends twice a week for three and a half hours at a time. And about every six weeks, they took a weekend off and went on a walking holiday with about eight of their friends with no distractions and we're just out in nature walking together. And the result of that is they have these amazing friendships. And I think part of the problem for us is that we've lost those kinds of rhythms. We don't understand about living into that kind of rhythm and making space to live in such a way that you have time for friendship, time for worship. Um, worship is supposed to be something where at least every Sunday, you're able to come together with your community um, and worship God. And I think for a lot of us, even if we think of ourselves as part of a church community, um, most people are not regular Sunday morning worship folks. And that's a life-giving rhythm, but we choose sort of by default to not embrace that. Yeah. <clears throat> One of the most common phrases you'll hear in the 
New Testament is the one another, like all these commands to love one another, to care for one another, and that assumes that there's this relationship among God's people in the church that takes time and investment. And so I agree with you. I think one of the things I would encourage folks who feel, hey, first of all, to just settle, like most people are just assuming this is the way life is now. But no, there's actually a better way you don't have to feel like you're hurting all the time. Like you, there's too much to do. This is why I think there's so much anxiety and depression is yeah. your body rec- like recognizes that you have limits and that you can't do everything that you're made to feel. And I love some of the things he traces this to uh, in, in history, the invention of like the light bulb, which you don't think about it, but that fundamentally changed everything. All of a sudden now you can work anytime. Mm-hmm. Uh, you think about the steam engine that was invented. What did that cause? Well, now all of a sudden you can, you're, you're not limited to a geographic space. You can go anywhere. And so these expectations socially, the expectations on your work, and now obviously with the, the smartphone, you're supposed to be going nonstop is what you're told. And he talks about how, uh, I guess it was in the 60s, that they were worried with all this technology that was uh, being invented, oh, right. yeah. that all of a sudden the, the big problem was everybody's gonna work maybe about 25, 26 hours a week, and that the real problem was gonna be too much leisure. Right, people were gonna be bored you, out of their you minds. You all have too much leisure yeah. in your lives today? But no, of course not. And that's one of the things that you look at now, it's had this reverse effect, um, that actually we've had, the, the, as you alluded to earlier, the signs of wealth is our busyness having too much to do you're the last one into the room shows that you're the most important right yeah and if you have to take three or four calls yeah yeah because that shows you're indispensable yeah um, yeah but i think you know part of the other aspect of this spiritually i love one of my favorite parts of the new testament is uh what some scholars call the last supper discourse which is when jesus is talking with his disciples on the night before he goes to be crucified. And it's a couple of chapters worth of content in the Gospel of John. But in chapter 15, he uses this beautiful analogy where he says, I am the vine, you are the branches. The one who abides in me, he is the one that bears much fruit. And then he goes on to say, if you're cut off from me, you can't do anything. It's like a branch on a vine. If you cut it off, it can't prosper. And I think we don't even understand what that word abide means anymore. That idea of being deeply rooted in a relationship or deeply rooted in a place where in such a mobile, disposable kind of society and economy that we, we miss out on that. And I think that makes Jesus' words that much more winsome. Now, yeah, I was thinking about that and the way that that relates to relationships because I think we don't know how to abide in friendship very well either. Um, There's a book that I was talking about when I was in England this summer with a friend of mine um, that's a bestseller in England and it hasn't come out here yet, but it's called Belly No Mates. And that's, when he said that was the title, I was like, what? Um, But that is a playground insult in England. So when you're the kid um, that doesn't have any friends, that's the last person to be picked on the team, people yell out, belly no mates, basically belly with no friends. And it's the story, apparently the book is the story of this man who was very successful, um, was in a bunch of his friends' weddings, and then he started thinking about, well, if I got married, who would I ask to be in my wedding? And he realized that all of his friendships were incredibly shallow, that he had a lot of people that he could do stuff with, that he could go to the bar with, that he could go watch football match with, but nobody that he could like share his soul with, nobody that would reach out to him when he was hurting. And I think we are starved for that kind of friendship. And you know, it's a great blessing when you have friendship like that in your life. I'm gonna embarrass Justin, but when I was getting ready to have the surgery that I just had on my eye, Justin, without being prompted, called me up and said, I want to go get your favorite lunch and bring it over and then come over and pray for you before you go have the surgery. Well, that was an incredible, beautiful thing. It's scary going to have surgery. And I didn't ask him to do that, but he just did that on his own. I think we all long for friends that will 
be that other-centered and other-focused. But I think the part of the problem is we're so busy, we don't allow those kinds of relationships to actually happen. Yeah, it takes, and I think one of the hardest things that you see in my generation and younger generations is the ability to make a decision to actually cut off your choices. And that's exactly what the antidote to busyness is, is yep. to, to have the courage to say, here are what the things God's calling me to do and to live my life. And these aren't burdens so much as guidelines to flourishing. And right. think about God's commands and wills for your life in that sense. And it takes courage to actually stick to that. And you know, some of the things that he talks about in here or the Justin Whitmill early book are, uh, you know, what are some of the weekly habits that you can put into place? Mm -hmm. Taking one day off of work, having one hour a, a week at least where you're connecting and conversing with a friend. Um, what are some of the other, uh, curating your media, both the quality of what you're watching and, and listening to and the amount yeah. that you're looking at. And so- And how you start your day. And how you start your day, right? And so there's um, all of those involve saying no to things that may come very natural and that everybody else is doing. And that's the problem, though, is you have to be able to, to be willing to cut off some options to kind of have the right diagnosis and then be willing to take that step in faith to, to begin to form new habits that are going to really fight against the depression, anxiety and to cultivate some of the things that we long for the most. And mm -hmm. so, for instance, one of the things I mean, you see all the time is just like, because we can go all over the place, saying, I'm going to take my sense of place seriously and committing to, I mean, I, I've dealt with college students for a long time, but like, consider when you make a decision for where you're going to move to, uh, what kind of church is there? That's <laughs> right. like nobody, I yeah. mean, they're like, what's the job? What's the value? You're weighing the cost and the money. But rarely, like, what, what are your friendships going to be like in this place? What kind of community spiritually is going to be there? And having the willingness to put that at the top of your list and making a decision is actually really, really important. Um, but even when you're there, t saying, you know what, I'm going to make as hard as it can be these first couple years out of college, I'm going to commit to being in this place. So my friends are over here and over here and over, we're all over the country, and I've got those connections. I'm going to make the hard choice to stay and really try to create new community, perhaps, community where God has placed me here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think that is such an important thing. And I'm going to step on some toes here, so um, I apologize in advance for that. Uh, but one of the things that makes it really difficult to experience flourishing is that if you are in a pattern where you go out of town every weekend, um, whether that's be because you're a huge football fan and you go to the football game every weekend in Greenville or Columbia or wherever you might be going, or if it's because you've got lots of friends in other cities and so you go every weekend. Well, the problem is when you, when you do that, the thing that you're sacrificing is being planted in the place that arguably is where God has called you to be. And when you're not available for relationship, you're not available for worship. And when you're traveling all the time, it's exhausting. And so when you, you come back late on Sunday night and you've been out till 3 a.m. on Saturday with your friends and it was a great time, you're not setting yourself up for flourishing the next week. So I think that's, that's again, part of having to make those hard choices of not being able to do everything. And it's just like you know, going back to that botanical illustration again that Jesus uses a lot. If you think about a rose bush and a beautiful rose garden, I don't know how many of you have been in a beautiful rose garden, but if you haven't, you should do it. Um, it's amazing. But for roses to grow, they have to be carefully pruned. And if you just let them go wild, even the most beautiful rose will never produce a beautiful blossom. It will produce these smaller um, sort of wild blossoms, but it won't produce the beautiful, rich, fragrant one that the plant is capable of. And it takes pruning for that to happen. And I think our lives are like that, that we just can't do everything much as we would like to, and that the um, sacrificing of some things and setting some priorities can really help us with flourishing. Yeah. You think about, so to wrap up, I think some, I'm curious, I want to know about this book here that you've got up here, but the simplicity, silence, 
Uh, I would say sleep, like all of these things that these are these are things that your body actually needs. It, I didn't know this, but like most of human history, people slept when you know when the sun went down yeah. and then came up. Yeah. And so the average, I think it was like the average uh, person lost two hours of sleep on, on average over the last like 40 years. So just 40 years ago, it was. I think what is it, like nine hours of sleep now. I think the average is seven hours of sleep. Or less than that. Well, if, yeah. and that, that's across the board. Yeah. I'm not talking yeah. about you know twenty year olds, thirty year olds, but like that's definitely less than that. And people, what's the response people always say is, well, you know, I don't, I've got all these other things, but like I'll sleep when I'm dead. Yeah. yeah. Well, you'll die pretty quickly when like you do that. Your body is not intended to do that. And I think for most of human history, it was like eleven hours was the average amount of sleep. And that sounds indulgent, a lot of the stuff sounds indulgent, but your body is actually really important. This is one of the things that we're both body and soul. And part of your duty to God is to care uh, what you eat, what you drink, having the right amount of sleep. That's a spiritual exercise yes. and, and a spiritual duty. But tell me a little bit about, so you've got time management for mortals. Yes. How does that compare to like time management that I hear in the business world about like All right, efficiency. So time management for mortals, one disclaimer, I haven't finished this yet, but so far it's awesome. Um, this was recommended to me by a guy who is at the literal top of his game. He's arguably the most important choral director in the entire world. Um, and I got to hang out with him some in England and he said this book changed his life. And the interesting thing is the guy that wrote it was like the top productivity expert in the UK. And he just wrote this book and basically said, everything I ever said or wrote was wrong. Um, disregard all of it. Uh, your life, 4,000 weeks is the average human lifespan. And everybody gets that amount. And you have to figure out, what am I going to do with that? And he said, the problem is we live in a culture where you are told there are more things that you must do than it's humanly possible to actually do. And he says, we get in this, uh, this rut where we're being told, you've got to do this, you've got to do that. And it's literally, if you step back from it, it's literally impossible. It's literally impossible. There are not enough hours to do it all. And yet, we get on that hamster wheel and we're like, um, and, and we're so in that that we can't see that it's impossible. And so he talks about making those hard choices and setting those rhythms um, that are really important. And I think one of the best ways to do that is to take a little bit of time and think about what are the things that really bring you joy? Not just pleasure, but things that bring you joy, that make you feel satisfied in your soul. And make a list of maybe six to 10 things. Make sure you've got at least a couple of those in your life every single day. If you do that, it will transform form your life. That's good. I can't wait to read that now. Um, <laughs> Lizzie, how are we doing on questions? Yeah? We've got a few. <laughs> Alright. Not statements, correct? We've got some statements, too. We've got some statements? It's questions, right? Yes, questions. All right. Okay. Yeah. Alright. <laughs> so do you want people to take a moment and like yeah. the ones that they yeah, everyone like the ones you think are the ones you want to be answered. You don't like the statements. The statements. Or ask new questions. <laughs> Is the state? It, it's not windy in here, so I'm curious what the statements are. We always get the like, it's so windy in here. Not today. Well, it's actually pretty chilly in the back. Yeah. <laughs> it's chilly up here too, but it's not windy. Well, there's a, it's a little windy back. Okay. <laughs> well, Colton, come up to the front, man. Everybody started. There's seats right here. Yeah. Nobody wants to be. I mean, we've got these folks up here who are brave. So That's right. Y'all are starting to dress more appropriately for theology on tap, which is like Alaska weather. You know, you come in. <laughs> we've got the summertime's hard, obviously. We'll leave the books up here. Okay, so well, in the meantime, there is one that has 12 likes. Y'all want to go ahead and answer sure. that one? Okay. You're in charge. All right. How do you keep worship in your routine on days when you don't feel like reading the Bible or excited to spend time with God? Oh, that is such a good question. 
Um, there's a great C.S. Lewis quote about that. Naturally. No. Yeah, I know. It's <laughs> shocking. Um, it's from the Screwtape Letters when the Screwtape is talking about how to... Screwtape's a devil. He's trying to stop the Christian from being able to flourish. And he's talking to Wormwood, who's trying to stop this Christian from flourishing. And he says, our cause, that is Satan's cause, is never in more danger when a man or woman looks around the landscape of his life and it appears that every trace of God has vanished and yet he still chooses to obey. And I think there's a lot of truth to that, that when you push through, when you don't feel like it, um, that often that is where the greatest <coughs> blessing comes. And that's also a place where accountability can help you, um, where if you've got somebody that's encouraging you, if you're like struggling with reading scripture in the morning, having a friend that you can count on to text you in the morning um, who will remind you to do that or maybe hold each other accountable of sending each other a verse that you've read and something that it meant to you. Um, I think just um, confessing that is the first thing, admitting it to yourself that you're struggling to do it and you don't feel like it, but then trying to summon um, through prayer and accountability um, the will to go ahead and push through. And I think we live in a day that says, unless you feel it, you should never do it, because then it's inauthentic, right? And I think it's, you pressed, uh, you articulated something that's absolutely right. And, and how the human heart works is we don't feel what we want to feel all the time, but the solution is not just to sit around and twiddle your thumbs and wait till the feeling comes. The solution is to begin doing the practices, and then your heart slowly changes over time. And I pick up on also what you said about... Um, a lot of those things that were mentioned in the question involve personal habits. The more you can do those things together with people, so like obviously Sunday worship is one of those, it's the whole reason we come together to do that, but doing it with other people is one of the most helpful ways, and it, yeah, it can feel a little awkward at first, but um, you will be richly blessed. Like God promises that when two or three are gathered, he is specially present there uh, in his son Jesus Christ in a special way. So. Uh, doing it, yeah, confession, confessing about it, but also being intentional to, to try and do these things with other people, even when you don't feel like it, and do it, like, stick with it. Like, stick with it, and you'll find your heart will, will change over time. Yeah, and I can't tell you what, this is one of the advantages of being old, but uh, I can't tell you the number of times where I have not wanted to do something which could be anything on that list, and I pushed through it, and something amazing happened that I would never, if I had just like wimped out and gone and watched Netflix instead, I would have just missed out. Yeah. Good question. Okay, so our next one is, any counsel for when you are in a career with unavoidable intermittent seasons of busyness? That's a good question too. Um, I think unavoidable intermittent I would be interested in knowing exactly what that means. Uh, but I would say one of the things that's always really important is to think about and pray through and discern whether you are in the career that you believe God has called you to. And if you're in a career that makes it impossible for you to do the things that bring you joy and that you feel makes it impossible for you to flourish, I would say that's a great time to think about another career. And I think one of, the, one of the problems that we have is we've gotten locked into this prosperity myth in our culture that we think that we've got to have certain things or a certain standard of living in order to flourish. And um, I would say that is just really not true. I know a lot of people that are really fabulously wealthy who are miserable and people who are people with virtually nothing who have great joy in their lives. So I think it's always a good question to ask. Um, but I do think if it's just intermittent, like if you're a tax accountant or something like that, April, the first two weeks, are going to be really busy every year. And you kind of know that. But if the intermittent is every other day all year long, I would say that's a problem. Yeah, and I, every... Every time I sit down with somebody and they're feeling like, okay, yeah, but I'm different and I'm in this place where I have to deal with that. And you may be, 
But more often than not, um, people tend to think that they're the exception to the rule, and they always tend to think that the things that they are doing are most, pre like, that they, they, they cannot be dropped, right? And so, I don't know, you probably can't see this at all, but this two by four, you can see this at least. I can. But, like, um, you know, imagine, like, a, a chart where you have things that you can control, and, and then the importance of it down here, right? And so the things that are actually, that you can control and that are actually really important priorities, you should focus on these things. Uh, the things that you can't control uh, or that, you, that are not as important that you can control, you should get rid of those things as quickly as possible. The things that you um, can't control and are not important, you should definitely not worry about those. But the things that you can't control and are important, you have to start praying about those, I think. But you have to start looking at where's your time going in your day-to-day. -day. That's the important thing. It's actually doing and then prioritizing how actually important is this and what would happen if I didn't do it. And almost always to a T, people are like, well, it'd be the, you know, the end of the world. All these bad things, well, tell me what would happen. And you walk through that and you actually begin to take some deep breaths and realize, well, some of these things I can let go of. They're not quite as important as I thought. I'm so guilty of this all the time. And I go back to a chart like that where you're, you're I forget, do you know what it's called? I don't know. It's, I could put it in the show notes since we're doing that now, but um, I'll find yeah, the chart and put it in there. So, but you're basically learning priorities, right? Things that you can control and what are the things that are important, right? Well, and the other thing I would say is it's important to take a hard look at the culture of where you're working as well, because there's some, you know, people throw around the word toxic a lot today, but there, there really are corporate cultures that are toxic. And if you're in an organization that basically um, is demeaning you while at the same time throwing more stuff at you all the time, that is not an environment that you should be in. Um, that is something where I think it would be important to pray that God would open a door for you to get out. Yeah. Um, because if you're in a place that just makes you miserable and you dread going every day, life is too short. Life is too short for that. Question. Okay, so our next one is, I fill a lot of time with shallow friendships. What is your advice for making deep friendships out of ones that have always been shallow? Uh, that is such a good question. Um, there are a lot of things that you can do. I think one of the things that you can do, particularly if the other person is a Christian, um, is to say, start learning to ask better questions. Uh, one of those could be a very easy question, like what do you feel like that God is teaching you right now? Uh, what are some things that I could be praying for you about? Um, the other thing you can do, depending on the level of the friendship, is to say, you know, I really enjoy spending time with you, but I feel like that we are sort of stuck on a surface level. And I would really love to look at what it might look like to try to go deeper and building a better friendship where we could really support and encourage each other. Because um, I think everybody longs for that. And I think a lot of us are we're afraid that's very vulnerable to do that because the person might say, what? What um, a loser. Yeah, what a <laughs> creeper. Um, but my, my experience with having that kind of conversation is that if you, if you really think this is a person that you can have that kind of friendship with, usually that will help open the door to that. Another thing is to do that accountability that involves scripture. Um, to do that, that, that helps build a spiritual connection there. The other thing is to pray through that God would put people in your path and would show you who are the ones that you can build that kind of deep friendship with. Because it may be that you're trying to do that with people that are not interested. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I love that. And what Brian said, like, it's incredibly direct. If you were ever to do that with somebody, I'm thinking especially for guys, if you went up and said that to one of your buddies, like, that would be all of a sudden, I can only imagine the look back that this person would give, you know, but I'm a big believer that being direct with people is a form of love. Yes. When you upfront with what you want, you're going out on a limb. And that's the thing is like, you can't make somebody else be vulnerable, but deep friendships are all about you um, leading with vulnerability. You have to have vulnerability, trust, uh, and, and good questions, right? Because you can, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make a drink. So trying to lead with your own vulnerability 
inviting that in the other person and just being honest. Like, I would really, you know, I, I enjoy doing all these things and like, especially for guys, so I don't know if this was a guy who asked the question or not, but like doing things is actually just fine, that's okay, but you know, going for a walk or um, playing a sport, but making sure that it doesn't just stay there and, and articulating that while you're doing those things can be really helpful when you're trying to go just a little bit lower beneath the surface when you've been surface level for so long, doing, you know, doing something as opposed to just sitting there and saying, I really want to go deeper with you. You know, that yeah. that's just yeah. not going to probably go well. You got to be doing something, but, but being intentional about saying, Hey, this, this, I value our time together. I really would like to know, uh, more about what's going on in your, in your world, mm -hmm. you know? Um, and obviously at a heart level is what you're, what yeah. You're and I to. think, you know, you can say things like, I really would like to be a better friend to you, but I feel like, I don't really know what you're struggling with. I don't know what's going on in your heart. Um, Dreams, hopes. Those yeah, things, yeah, all those kinds of things. And I think even with guys, I think most guys long to actually be able to share that. Uh, so I think opening the door for that is half the battle. Yeah. Okay. Um, our next question is, how do we know if a recurring dream is from God or Satan? That's another yeah, great question. Um, and I would say it could be, uh, there's a third option. It could be God, it could be Satan, it could be what you ate for dinner. From um, Yeah. <laughs> um, I would say that one of the things about dreams that are from God, um, first of all, they're rare. It's not something that if you have a dream every week um, and they're different, I don't think those necessarily mean that God is speaking to you, but sometimes it might mean that God's speaking to you. I think it's important to pray into them, to share them with someone that you trust, and most importantly, to test them against scripture. Um, God will not ever speak to you about anything that's a sort of directive um, in a way that is contrary to scripture. Um, the flip side of that is one way to identify that it might be coming from Satan or a dark place is that if it is trying to encourage you to go against uh, what scripture teaches or what the um, understanding of the Christian faith is. Uh, but I, I think one of the most important things is to talk through them with a trusted Christian friend. And that's a very vulnerable thing to do, uh, but I think that's important. Yeah, I would say that I mean, we're open to God doing that. I look at, okay, so the fruit of the Spirit, does it cause love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, self-control in, in you? Uh, or is it something that the thief comes to steal, kill, and destroy? So those right. are the general yeah. marks. Uh, typically, the things that are from the enemy are vague and generalistic, and the Lord tends to be pretty specific. Yes. But the most important thing, I would echo what you said, I, can't, I was trying to find the scripture that talks about you know, sharing it with a trusted Christian friend, but the same thing was true with uh, other forms of special revelation, such as like uh, prophecy, a, a word of knowledge, that sort of thing. You see this in First Corinthians, I think, mm -hmm. is where it is, yep. Yep. where um, you know these these things are real. We believe in the spiritual yeah. realm, and some First people some 12. people do have that yep. gift. But it says to go to the actual church, go to the leaders of the church, where you can discern these things together. Uh, and, it, and again, it goes back to scripture. So I'd encourage you, come talk to us. Come talk yeah, to us if that's one of the sure. things that you have love to do that. Well, really on all these, we would be happy to talk to you anytime yeah. about any of these. But especially if you're getting dreams regularly, um, yeah. would, would love to help discern that. Okay, the next one is, can close intergender friendships exist and thrive with zero elements of romantic attraction? I'd like to think yes, but in my recent experiences, it's failed. Did you get the middle of that question? Yes. Okay. Um, <laughs> You're such a good So I, I would say absolutely yes, um, they can, because, again, the advantage of being old, I've had a number of relationships like that with um, women who are not my wife, and there's no romantic or sexual or any kind of anything like that at all. It is very much a brother and sister kind of relationship. And, in fact, the person who is my main mentor... Um, when I was in college was a woman who was about 10 years older than I was um, who had just a profound impact on my life. So I would say absolutely, but I think it can be very confusing, I think especially if you're peers. Um, if, if you're not 
both just real clear about that, um, it can get tricky. I would say, yeah, that's good. I would say not only can it, it should. I would say it's actually commanded that you should have uh, healthy friendships across just as you would uh, within the same gender with the opposite gender. And so uh, there, there are two things that I would say about that, though. We live in a hyper-sexualized age where they would typically say there's always going to be this sexual tension that's there. Um, and again, I'm going to go back to just being, like, defaulting to being direct and, and naming somebody and not, uh, this is what this friendship is. You don't want to ever lead somebody on when you're just hanging out and just, over, you know, and somebody may be interested and the other person's not, but so it's always good to, to be clear and upfront about what you are and to say that I, I value your friendship is not a, a trite cliche that, that isn't important. I think that's, these are important relationships of being a brother and sister and the Lord. Um, and at the same time, so there's like, that's the first thing I would say is uh, fighting against the, the temptation today to see everything through a sexualized lens. But then also I would say the virtue of like purity and chastity, which is also kind of poo-poo today, is also a really important virtue that um, people don't think about. But those relationships are meant to be pure and chaste and yeah. encouraging one another. With good boundaries. Uh, with good boundaries yeah. and, and clarity. So, yeah. How many more do y'all want? <laughs> Keep going. we got ten more minutes. Okay, cool. Um, so there's two of these that both have five likes there. I think could probably be the same question. Um, the first one is, how do we fight the urge to just mindlessly scroll or waste time in our own free time versus healthy rest? And the second is tips on getting more comfortable with silence slash alone time. Let's take each of those in turn because I think those are different. And they're, mm -hmm. they're both really good. Yes. Um, I like that, that first question especially was about mindlessly scrolling, right? And... Um, can you just repeat it? I'm so, I'm so hard. Yeah. Absolutely. <laughs> How do we find the urge to just mindlessly scroll or waste time in our own free time versus healthy rest? The, the word was urge. And I think that the nudge or the urge to scroll is not like something, chances are you're not consciously choosing to do that. It's again, your habit. Something that you're doing without even thinking about it. That's second nature to you. Is is going to it, um, and, and just con I mean, I, apparently I found this out last night. The the number of ways that you uh, are you can pick up your phone and it tells you how many times you picked it up during the day. It's a really humbling <laughs> stat to look at. But how many times you actually look at it? These these are programs that people designed in smartphones and and apps to ga gain your gaze, to capture your attention, right? And so you can't just you have to be incredibly intentional to, you can't just replace a habit by, try to stop thinking about that. You have to put something else in its place. You have to be active in trying to create an alternative habit that's going to fight against that. Yeah. yeah, and I would say one of the best ways to try to fight against that is to intentionally set aside some time and think about, okay, what are things that are life-giving for me? What are things that are uh, things that bring me joy? And then make those things easy to do. One of the things that happens is that um, spending a long time sitting in a chair scrolling through, um, looking at what's going on in other people's lives, um, I think it's the most depressing thing that you can do. It's not something that is going to make you feel great when you're done. Um, but I think you know, part of it is uh, it's easy because it's an easy default to just fall into that. So I would say think about what are the things that are life-giving, the things that you want to do, and literally post a list of those somewhere where you can see them and then make it whatever they might be. If it's like reading a particular book, like say you decide you want to read the Chronicles of Narnia, actually buy the Chronicles of Narnia and have them there yeah. so that you can read them. With um, um, and close at hand so that you can just do that as easily as you could pick up your phone because whatever you want to replace that with needs to be as easy as picking up your phone and you also if you haven't ever watched the Netflix documentary The Social Dilemma um, please watch that because that will make you aware of why 
you're so addicted to scrolling that there are lots of people who are paid six-figure salaries um, as a psychologist to try to draw you in to be on your phone more and more and more and more. Uh, but I think that replacing, Justin's exactly right, that replacing it with other activity, being outside is a great way to help deal with that uh, temptation. Uh, this is one of the things we don't realize in our culture, but until 100 years ago, most people spent most of their time in the daytime outdoors. Mm. This whole idea that we're inside all the time, that has never been true of the human race in history. And we don't flourish when we're like inside all the time. We're designed to be out. And the other part of that is that God's revelation in nature with the beauty of the sky and nature and all of that, we miss out on that when we're staring into our phone. I think I mentioned the TechWise family. Is, is that a book that rings a bell? So Andy Crouch wrote this book. It's a great little, little tiny book. I wish it wasn't called the TechWise family because everyone would benefit. He talks about, um, you know, so if your phone sets you up, if it nudges you to pick it up and to scroll, you have to basically set up the way you live. You set up your house, set things up to nudge you in a certain direction that fights against that. So one of the things is to keep your phone not by your bed in the morning. I think to like trying not to grab that first in the morning or to don't have screens in your bedroom at all would be a, a huge nudge. He talks about not, not having the TV in like the main gathering area of your house. And I think that's a, a helpful nudge. I saw this with my little kids. Like we've just been intentional about not having that there. and fighting screens was so much easier when that wasn't right in front of them all the time. And so you put a book there instead. You, you, you say, all right, I'm going to set a time that I'm going to go for a walk and, and do things that I want to do outside that sort of thing. So, yeah. uh, let's do the, si the silence question next. Okay, yeah, so... All right, tips on getting more comfortable with silence slash alone time. So I would say the first thing is to schedule it so that it's something that you're looking forward to, that you've created a space where the silent time is going to be possible. Um, you don't want it to be that you were trying to get together with people and it didn't work out, and so this is going to be your silence time. That's not going to um, probably end up being a great time, absent a miracle from the Lord, which could happen. Uh, but I think planning for it, I'm planning to be somewhere where there's something beautiful to contemplate. I'm a big believer in being outside for silent time. Um, if you can be outside by water or by a tree that's going to have the breeze going through it, um, that is a great thing to do. Having something to contemplate, uh, whether it be scripture or a poem or something like that, uh, can be a great thing to do uh, to provide some, some content for your silent time. Um, Christian understanding of silence is very different from a Buddhist understanding of silence. A Buddhist understanding of silence is that you're emptying yourself of everything so that there's nothing left. A Christian understanding of silence is that you're leaning into who God is and what God's creation is and the beauty, truth, and goodness that are found there and contemplating those things. Yeah, that's, that's really good. I would say most of us are so busy that we don't have time to ever think about how, what we actually have done during the last day, week, you know? So self-examination historically has always been a really important thing in a virtuous life, and I think we don't tend to do that. So self-examination, uh, practicing the presence of God, reminding yourself that He's with you, and to be okay in the silence of that and just start talking. It's One of the things I want to encourage you with is it's going to be awkward. If you've been really, if you've avoided silence for so long, it's kind of like a detox from being addicted to drugs. Mm -hmm. You're just gonna yeah. feel a little off and it's gonna be uncomfortable. Or very off. Yeah, and it's, but it's good. It, it's good and it's just something, one of those things that you're gonna have to just try to get over. Uh, and it gets easier the more that you do it. I tell you what, one of the things I've really wanted to do, I've never done it, but to Medkin Abbey to do a silent retreat, they. It's a beautiful space. Um, if we get enough people, we should do a silent retreat at Bethkin Abbey. I would totally lead that. Um, but yeah, I think it's one of the, we have so many things that we don't actually meditate, we don't self-examine 
these were very important things throughout much of human history that people did, but we're so frenetic, we're so thinking about everything else that we just, um, so the biggest thing is just be okay in the awkwardness and how uncomfortable it is and, and just go for it. Yeah, and I would encourage you, one of the great things about living in Charleston is the beach is yeah. close by. The beach is a great place to go plan for an hour or more of silence. Another thing that's great to do in times of silence is to practice gratitude. Um, it's a great time to think of everything that you can be thankful for in your life. Maybe one more? Okay. Um, all right, so our last one will be, if I lost it. Okay, how do you know when you're forcing a friendship versus you may just need to be more persistent? Yeah, that's, that is a tough question. Um, I think prayer and discernment are definitely part of that. But I think that if you've tried, if it, particularly if you've taken the risk to be vulnerable and you don't get anything back, um, that is probably a sign. If, if you've tried that more than once and you're not getting anywhere, that maybe this, this is not the place to be investing. What yeah. would you say to that? Again, I, w I think that it um, you ha you have to evaluate. I mean, we've talked about not judging before, but like the Bible does. That's not saying like don't make evaluations. Right. It's important to evaluate. Okay, what what kind of person is this? That is this somebody who is a healthy person who's a, a, a going to be a good influence spiritually on me? Um, if it's not, then you can. I would say right there. Then you know, don't worry about being as persistent, but. Um, don't stop at one time if it's a you know somebody that you think that this is uh, somebody that you would like to have a good friendship with. Uh, sometimes they they just may be busy, but you're going to be I'd say at least two, three, four times of reaching out, trying to get together. So the problems can be that they, they maybe just not have the time to be with you, or if you are together and they're just not actually reciprocating that kind of vulnerability at all. That's okay. You can't force people to do that, and uh, the Lord will provide those being intentional and looking elsewhere to, to find that. Uh, because I think most people are starved for that, and they would be deeply honored if you you were direct in that way and you wanted to try and have that sort of friendship that um, that really sees the heart. Yeah. So. Well, thanks so much for coming to the VIP room at Henry's tonight. Let's talk about the uh, list. What was our list? The list of how to be on the email list. Oh, no, I didn't. Yeah. So the bottom QR code, if you want to follow along, although I sent out an email two hours before tonight, um, we normally give a little bit more warning, but if you want to stay in touch with us and know what's happening with the option tab, you can join our email list here at the bottom. Um, sorry, I forgot to mention that earlier. And you can also share the podcast if you like this yes. um, with friends elsewhere. It was a really cool Sunday. Um, we had some people from Iowa who are big podcast fans of Theology on Tap that actually came to Charleston so they could come to St. Philip's and check it out. So um, you just so never weird. know. So weird. Yeah, yeah. But awesome. <laughs> but grateful yeah. for you for coming. That's thank right. You. Shout out yeah. to Iowa. Yeah. Yes. But <laughs> thank you, Charleston people, for coming tonight. It's great to see you, and we look forward to seeing you next time. Yeah. Thanks, guys. Bye. Bye.